Welcome to the Mechanics of Storytelling. In this podcast, we talk with different storytellers across various mediums about how they tell their stories in their chosen mediums, the mechanics, the techniques, and the processes. Hey, this is Ezra Justin Lee, your host on the Mechanics of Storytelling podcast today with very special guests. Usually we just have one beautiful person, but today we have three beautiful people in the room. Several. We, yeah. yeah, that's right. We have Alex, we have Sally, and Daniel of the band Run River North. So welcome, Run River North. Thank you. Thank you for having us, Ezra Justin Lee. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys want to go around and kind of just say your name so people can recognize the name to the voice? Mm-hmm. This is Alex Huang. I am Sally King. I'm Daniel. Awesome. I think we're off to a really good start. That was mm-hmm. strong. So. Yeah. That was great. So uh, with most of our episodes, we try to start out with like origin stories, like how people got into their crafts. Could you guys look, tell us a little bit about how that worked for you, your band? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it started out when I, uh, I was working at CAA as uh, an assistant in the music department. And CAA is a talent agency, creative artist agency. Uh, located in Century City. Um, and while I was there, um, I was uh, was leading worship at church. Uh, I was being a, a, a youth teacher, I guess, as well as um, trying to make music on my own. Wow. Um, I had a band. Uh, it was called Alex and the Huang Jays. Um, nice. uh, it was like acoustic y stuff. Um, yeah. And Daniel had uh, laid some violins on one track back then. Sick violins. Super sick. That's dope. Um, uh, for a song that later became a Run River North song, actually. Mm-hmm. But um, I took a break, and then in that break, I started um, getting stories just from my friends and from my own life, from immigrant dads and all the skeletons that they had in their closet. And uh, I started wanting to make a children's book out of those stories called Monsters Calling Home, and I thought it would be a good children's book that adults could read. And instead of a book, I wrote a song uh, called Monsters Calling Home, Mm -hmm. and um, I asked Daniel to help me uh, record a demo of it. I asked some other friends to, you know, see, to help it out, and then there was a big audition for collaboration, which is started with a K, it's like this Asian American talent show thing in LA that was started by Paul P.K. Kim and I would volunteer for that so I knew that um, it would be a big stage it would be fun to do and I could definitely get past the auditions if I had the right pieces so with the song Monsters Calling Home I gathered all the forces I I basically found uh, Koreans that I thought uh, looked attractive enough and (laughs) played instruments enough uh, to make the audition work and some of them were by far like they're super talented. So I got everybody that was the first six members of. So you had everyone like sending headshots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That I makes had sense. The casting director, make nice. sure. No, um, Alex had already scouted all the Facebook profiles oh, of yeah. the potential members. <laughs> Excellent. This was like at the. Uh, this was before Instagram. Yeah, this was <laughs> definitely Facebook era wow. um, casting. Okay. Profile photos. Yeah, yeah. And then I, I got everybody, and um, ended up being like, oh, there's a violin girl. We're gonna have two. Two, two people play bass guitar, like Death Cab. Sally's gonna sing because I thought she could sing and she didn't know she could sing, but I was just like, she looks good, she, it's, gonna, it's gonna work out. <laughs> um, and then we did, we, we got the audition and we played at Nokia Theater mm-hmm. 2011. Um, 
and that's how we started. We lost actually because the this the voting system was kind of um, kind of weird. So everyone so, had their favorite band. Oh yeah. So there was there was a lot of talented acts that year, mm-hmm. but everyone had their favorite band, and then they all voted number two. This yo-yo guy named Wait, Noel. This is the Coons. collaboration thing. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah. Oh, so it wasn't because they're all white. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we were all Asians, yeah. so it was a. Well, we we encounter that mountain later. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> many times. Yeah, but this one was oh, a yeah. small slope, and then um, we ended up. Yeah, we lost. Um, but we ended up getting on some uh, blogs through friends that I worked at CAA with, and just some random blogs that uh, made it a big splash for us. And then we ended up just keep snowballing from there. Yeah, that's amazing. So you told your side of the story. Let's yeah. let's hear. Is it mostly true, Sally? Oh. Oh yeah, Daniel. it's 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 like, yeah. It's that's a true, true story. Alex is um, it's based ha- on a true story. It's based. On <laughs> <laughs> no, that that sounds exactly right. Um, mm-hmm. We were kind of talking before we started. Um, if you're Korean and you grow up in the valley, you know everyone else who plays guitar or some other instrument, uh, and that just happened to be six people. And so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. You were the chosen six. We were the chosen, chosen six. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. How about you, Sally? Um, how did you start into music, like your individual journey? Um, I grew up just playing piano, like taking piano lessons since I was like a kid and wanting to rebel from that in middle school. Like, I'm not going to do this. And just having a natural like love for music. Like, I always love listening to music. Grew up watching TRL with my sis- older sister. Nice. And just like like always just listening to what she was listening to and mm-hmm. um yeah it wasn't until i i met these guys uh at the church and oh you all went to the same church mm-hmm. oh no way we didn't like grow up together but mm-hmm. we were we ended up at this church mm-hmm. at the at the same time right it okay. kind of worked out that way so That's we amazing. weren't childhood friends mm-hmm. or church friends but so alex was, had just finished college yeah and same with me and yeah. then and yeah. I was just starting college, so mm, yeah. okay. I just became friends with them, with both Daniel, Alex, and the other members, just because we were all into watching music. live music yeah. and like them playing music and him sharing his story about Monsters Calling Home. Really, like it really struck a chord in me. Like, oh, this is really interesting. I've never heard of anything like this. Mm-hmm. So I was just, I felt like I was just a gonna be a bystander. Like, whoa, this is a great thing to just like support and then uh when alex had asked daniel to help him get this song recorded or practice all like the elements of it i was there and then he had alex had kind of just asked me to sing on it which was like didn't make any sense to me because i was like you've never heard me (laughs) sing or attempt to sing anything and he just thought i had an interesting talking voice Hmm. i was like this is gonna go really badly. <laughs> no, no. Here's, okay, here's the That's real. A good this is what really happened. <laughs> all right, Daniel. Alex was like, "Hey, let's all watch Nacho Libre at my house," and then <laughs> classic, <laughs> somehow got Sally to come over, and we end up in his garage, and he's like, "We're gonna record a demo right now." Right and now, then, yeah. Like after the movie. Pretty much. No, no like not even. Watch, we didn't even watch, watch the movie. Oh, yeah. so that was a decoy. <laughs> he was like, "Hey, come on." I do. Fun. I do love Nacho Libre. Yeah. But, like. That's what I'll use. So he got you in the door, and he's like, there's mm-hmm. no nacho beef. <laughs> I was like, okay, I guess we're just going to chill in the garage. And then there are all these mics. We're ready. And that's then that's like the like, start of every horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> we're now watching Nacho Libre. Oh, my God. <laughs> but you know, then what did you come up with? 
Uh, we so that we didn't finish the demo that day, but I remember the first two demos we had were "Growing Up," the song "Growing Up," and the song "Monsters Calling Home." And I think without those two pieces uh, under our belt, like those two demos actually opened up a lot of doors for us because mm-hmm. uh, that's something we could pass around. That's something mm-hmm. we'd post on Facebook at the time, and it was something people could gather around and get excited about. Yeah, you know, looking at looking back, even before those two, the reason why I was um, pushing Sally to do it was because we did Mr. Brightside. Oh. Like Steven. So Daniel was in another band before that. So mm-hmm. prior to Monster Calling Home, there was going to be an amazing, incredible Korean-American band. Yeah. Their name was Feats and Inches, and Daniel nice. was in it. There's a couple people from Ooh, the church that we were it's in. It's very penile. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely saying something. Okay. And I actually, my college, like, uh, what is it? I was a media studies major, and my final project was doing a documentary on them about the Korean American church and their place in it, and I wanted to like manage them. That's and that's cool. how I got inspired to be like, okay, I think if they're not gonna do it, because they ended up like not doing it, yeah. I, just, I just took some of their members, and I was like, okay, do you guys wanna keep doing this or that's not? That's cool. So one of their members, their drummer, was kind of good with engineering, and so he helped me do a cover of Mr. Brightside, and mm-hmm. that's when I heard Sally. I just asked Sally if she wanted to do yeah. it, and I was like, this is amazing, and that, that Recording is the one that's on Spotify right now with like 20 yeah. million hits. Mm-hmm. It's, so. it's great. Yeah, thanks. I know you're not bragging about your voice, oh, no. but it has a very nice timbre. Oh, so yeah. thank you, yeah. It's, it's very nice. That was the beginning. That was yeah. the genesis that was the beginning. of me wow. the fr- getting yeah, one of Nacho the very Libre mm-hmm. nice. to get her. So that's how you guys got bit by the spider and then became like musicians. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Cool. So I was going to ask you also like what you guys fight over the most, but it sounds like uh, you don't fight that much. You guys... Resolve everything. No? No, this is eight years in the making. So this is wow. like eight year relationship. We've I've I've wanted to kick both of these guys out of the band. The mm-hmm. only two that I've wanted to kick out. And the ironically they're the only ones that stayed. So like yep. we've wow. we've we've fought about everything. We've we've fought about everything. So you fight well now. Now. It took yeah. a long yeah. time. Mm-hmm. But it was it was pretty shitty for a a, mm-hmm. a long time. Yeah. Okay. There yeah, you, go. You, yeah you, you let us know whatever you want to talk about we've fought about. Yeah, yeah, maybe we can get into it later yeah. in the techniques. It sounds like it would be interesting. Um, so this this podcast, I really am curious about stories in general. I think you your band tells a certain kind of story, um, and that story has changed as well over time, like in the first album and then so forth. Um, how would you say, how would you answer that question? Like what kind of stories are you telling or are you trying to tell? Um, that's a good question. We actually had to answer that kind of recently um, because our label was asking what's the difference between our EP that's coming out versus what was before. And it took me on a run about before it was, um, yeah, it was about family, about our folks um, being uh, immigrant kids. And then the story was about just relating to the band members and interpersonal relationships. That was the second album, yeah? Yeah, second album. And then when, um, after that happened and people left, it felt like um, what was happening in in America, what was happening with um, uh, race relations, and uh, just kind of seeing, you know, our place in it, uh, whether it was in, like, you know, white people's eyes or black people's eyes or Asian people's eyes, um, I think... I, I don't know. Before I was like, okay, we should get angry just like everybody else is yeah. and like tell an angry story. Oh, and to be clear to the listeners, all the band members are Korean American. Oh, yeah, we're super <laughs> Korean, super American. Um, and 
so I think instead of an angry story, lately it's just been um, how to how to um, how to express like a joy and a, and and hope in a way that isn't um, superficial or it doesn't dismiss all of the uh, like legitimate hopelessness and yeah. hate and injustice. Yeah. And all of the tension and the fights that do yeah. end up happening. So over like cultural, political situations, yeah. but also in our personal lives. Yeah, and just so all forth. of that. And, and how do you how do you stay positive with all these broken pieces? Yeah, because um, it's easy to kind of keep deconstructing and like wanting to like like crush things and destroy things just yeah. because they're broken and you know legitimately so. But how mm-hmm. do you how do you rebuild? How do you like you know in the midst of it? Can you still be happy? Do you still want to live for it? Do you mm-hmm. want to you know like get married? Do you want to like still be a band like all these things why would you want to keep doing this while you're just destroying everything and yeah. saying like you know fuck everything you yeah know? so that's that's really interesting it sounds like you there was like a really big turn in the way you're thinking about things yeah it was kind of from a darker place and then you chose joy can you tell me a little bit more about that transformation like what what led up to that what were you thinking how did you get there yeah um and you guys can chime in too absolutely. if unless you're all like not joyful. <laughs> no, <I laughs> you don't think, agree. Yeah. I think you're very observant, and um, I think, uh, regardless of how you feel about the current political climate, one good thing I think that has come out of the last uh, couple of years is it feels like uh, a gigantic mirror has been uh, placed in front of everybody, and everyone's had to kind of confront who they are and how they relate to the world. And so for us, the stories, the stories we were telling were felt more like origin stories. But mm-hmm. I think after album two, it it, it became mo- the songs really became a lot more of what we were dealing with uh, externally, like what mm-hmm. we were seeing, what we were witnessing. Um, I mean, if, yeah, not to like like regurgitate the the media narratives that have gone on for the last three years but like it was right race relations it was yeah, shootings it was sure. like regardless of how you feel about that it was a lot of stuff that i think america as a whole was going through and so um i think uh to kind of address your question um we're just telling stories of what it's like to be an american um of korean heritage mm. in 2020 or yeah. in, in this millennium and um we are all very much American, but we're, you know, our, our parents came from Korea. And so, yeah. I mean, it, I think that's an American story. Like, uh, yeah, I don't know how else to hmm. yeah. well, describe I'm, that. I think just picking, uh, back, piggybacking off of your metaphor of a mirror, um, at least in the band, there was always a mirror. Like, that's how I would write stories, like look at myself. But before there were six of us. And then so in the mirror, you could just like kind of like talk about everybody else. But now that yeah. there's that those people left the mirror is very specifically you know me sally and daniel mm-hmm. and then now that there's n- less noise i think that turning point was when when three people left and the mirror got a little less cluttered and then you could either yeah you got to be more efficient and you got to be more clear or else you can't just hide behind the other the group mentality is like oh yeah. look at us six doing this in the you know it's like okay what is what does daniel think what does sally think right. what do i think right and it's going to be heard so you we better be um articulate or we better be honest about this and not like try to hide behind the group mentality of it mm-hmm. so i think when they left was really the turning point between like you know 
yeah, I can't keep being angry at them because then this is just going to be unhealthy and this mm-hmm. is not going to happen. So yeah, as I was, you know, learning how to be joyful and positive with Daniel and Sally, I think that kind of helped um, structure and frame songs f- when I was talking about things that weren't out, you know, Daniel and Sally. Yeah. So, so it sounds like it was a choice. Like you chose to be joyful. Yeah. 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 That's, that's huge. Yeah. Um, I've, so it seems like uh, you've kind of go through, gone through some iterations. Like in your first album, it was very reflective. It was a lot about that immigrant storytelling. And actually, Alex, you wrote all of it or most of it. Yeah, wrote right? all of it. And then in your second album, it was kind of a joint effort amongst all six of the original band members. Uh, and then the, the latest album, the EP, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was... It was just you three, but everyone kind of was pitching in. There weren't any free free uh, freeloaders or anything like that, and um, it was more joyful in, sort of in, in terms of like the lyrics and the, the stories you were telling. Is that kind of is that kind of correct? Yeah, yeah, and it's also because we allowed um, other people that weren't in the band to co-write with us, okay. so we would meet all these other artists who were doing their own stories and mm-hmm. then um, meeting them where they were at, and I think that really colored and made us see outside of ourselves yeah. so that it wasn't just so introspective. Yeah, um, and I, I kind of like what you brought up, Daniel, because it, it, joy is a choice, right? right? And I think if you look at the etymology of the word, there's a lot of will that's mm. uh, encapsulated mm. in that word. Um, and so it seems like you're choosing joy in the midst of all this crap that's happening socially, politically, culturally, et cetera. Mm. Um, I really like that. Right, I yeah. think... Um, uh, it, you you can only experience joy uh, if you go through the opposite of it. Like, I think album two was very much uh, a lot of internal struggle within the band and having to tour that album for two years, like play those songs night after night for two years. Like we all kind of knew this is tiring. So mm-hmm. instead of continuing to go down that hole, like it was almost a challenge to us. Like let's do the exact opposite thing and be like, what if the response was joy? Yeah. And I think because we had gone through those feelings, the joy felt fuller. And yeah. like you, like, like you, like you mentioned, it, it is, it did feel like a, a choice. Yeah. And, uh, it's kind of revolutionary, especially when you're in the face of all that. Yeah. I, I, and we were just talking about this, uh, the other day, like, I think musicians, because the uh, act of putting out music and then waiting for a label to put it out and then get it uploaded onto, you know all the streaming platforms and and marketed correctly because that process takes too like so long i feel like musicians experience emotions or they have to write music almost like a, a year or two years in advance mm. uh, they have to kind of forecast where uh not they like what what they're feeling internally but like what they're almost like the the litmus te- test like they're the thermometer of, yeah. of, of the culture and like mm. so they go through things uh you know a time before and so it's almost a bigger um, picture for you know the country. I, I feel like it's like I'm noticing, or the the music that speaks to me is is a lot of like it's not the the hard heavy rock stuff. It's the ones that are dancing in in this climate. You know what I'm mm. saying? Like that's what sticks out to me, and that's what gets me excited. And, yeah. and it's it's a it's, uh, it's uh, fascinating to that's see. That's interesting. Yeah. So it's like um, these these instances, these like small instances of the collective feeling and imagination right. and emotion that's being captured through these stories and songs. That's that's beautiful. Sally, I know Sally, I know you helped create Casina mm-hmm. in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm wondering, what was the storytelling, the story you're trying to tell there? Well, Casino was a, like, a, what is it, like a reflection sort of of Casino, which was a song that Alex had already, like, written. We had been playing it at all of our live shows, and when we took it into the studio at this time, it was just the three of us, and... I think just as a challenge, our producer, Miro, was, he just asked me, like, oh, what what would you say if you had to sing verse two, Hmm. you know? And I think just knowing what the Casino song was about and just kind of it being like that you're, you you can get kind of, like, lost in that, in, in, like, parts of your life that, like the circumstances seem so heavy and so mm-hmm. like laid out for you like this is like it's like setting you up for failure but like choosing to like look at it and be like like what what would my response be to that so i think mm-hmm. in even in just a lot of like talking back and forth with miro we were just talking a lot about like gambling terms and mm-hmm. just like i felt like in that mo- in that time i we had uh, departed from our other three members and I had been feeling kind of like stuck in that spiral of mm. like oh my god like what are we doing yeah, kind of sure. a thing and so I think that song at the time really felt like re- real to me yeah. so in that at that point I had written what I just felt yeah. in like feeling I think you did a good job because oh, one 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 thing, I mean, I took away a lot of things from mm-hmm. the song, but one thing I really was notable was that sense of isolation and mm-hmm. alienation. Yeah. But simultaneously that desire for, like, something something, something else, mm-hmm. maybe something to fill it, right? Mm-hmm. So that was beautiful. Um, before we take a break, uh, in the break, I was hoping we can listen to one of your songs. Uh, Sally, did you want to introduce the song that people will listen to in just a few seconds? Yes, this is our newest single in continuation of the... A pursuit of joy in our music and just yeah just our lives it's called wake up and we hope you enjoy it Sunday morning back in my place you can sleep late I don't mind break some eggs make a mixtape and let it play like 20 times got no money but i got lots of time so let's spend a little live a little because every day the sun will rise come smell the roses oh come take your time It's time. 
This is Ezra Justin Lee on the Mechanics of Storytelling podcast, today with special guest, the band Run River North. What you just heard was Run River North's latest single called Wake Up, and you can find the single on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, or Google Play. So let's return now to the interview to learn a little bit more about their creative process. All right, so welcome back. Uh, we're in the second part of our episode now. We're going to talk a little bit more about techniques, switch some gears, and focus on that. Uh, so to kind of start us off, I'm curious, like, how do you how do you come up with an idea for a song? Does it start with a chord progression, a melody, a hook? Does it start with uh, an idea for lyrics? Can you can you walk me through that? Maybe a specific song. Yeah, well, why don't we just talk about "Wake Up" just because people just heard it? Sure. And it'd be nice to talk about that one, um, and. So Wake Up, um, we had been writing with other bands, other songwriters, um, and we had just finished a session with this really cool band. We did two songs with them down in the OC, and we were super pumped, and we are like, oh, this is definitely going to um, make the label happy, management's going to be happy, we're all going to be inspired. And the next day was already, uh, we had booked, or our label had booked another session with this kid who we didn't know the band we and but they were in the valley and we were from the valley so it was convenient enough and so we weren't really looking forward to it but it was also because we were just like we felt like we had enough like we didn't need any more hmm. so we came into that session just like thinking like yeah everything here is kind of just icing on the cake okay um, and then so we what happened we sat down in his um garage uh and then i had this we end up what happens with these songwriting sessions is Daniel and I uh, and now Sally we'd go into these sessions and come up we would show our like resume of demos and then they would show their resume of demos and then be like okay cool do you want to work on one of these mm-hmm. or do you want to just come up with something new so they're like they're like prototypes yeah like yeah little snippets of a song yeah. idea yeah okay. yeah and then you're like, okay that okay I can see where what direction you're going in mm-hmm. and then usually the producer or the other other group We'll be like, oh, I've been working on this little bit, and if it's something cool, we'll just be like, yeah, let's just work on that. And it's, it might be a, a beat, it might be a, a, a melody. It's never really a lyric. Um, and then from there, we would just build upon that. Yeah. So this time around, I had we had this whole song that we I really loved, but we never figured out what to do with it. Mm-hmm. But I played it for Nick Anderson, and um, he really liked the chord progression. We recorded it real quick um, in Pro Tools or Logic, and then um, on an iPhone. On an iPhone. Oh, oh wow. yeah, yeah. No, just kidding. Yeah, we. <laughs> That's really different. A, <laughs> it wasn't even a mic. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Um, and then with that, we just went off. And then uh, 
with most producers, you'll get kind of, or with most of these songwriting sessions, you'll just get stuck and you'll just think, okay, how do I make this bigger? Or how, how can I get to the kernel of this? Or what is this about? But with Nick and Wake Up, it was just like, oh, this is a good feeling. What if we went left turn? Mm-hmm. And then, but yeah, sure. Like, okay, that's great too. But what if we went another left turn? So if we were just... That sounds very uncomfortable. It was. But I think we were just so open to it because this didn't mean so much. Like, we, there was not a lot of pressure for this yeah. to go anywhere. So mm-hmm. we were just like, fine. Like, I'll sing in this weird R&B thing that I've never done before. Yeah. Like, we're going to add snaps here, and it's going to be like a Rhodes piano. And it's like, sure, we've never done that in our band. Yeah. And then it just kept building. And by the by the end of, like, three, four hours, we were like, this is a lot of fun. Yeah. And this song just came out so effortless, effortlessly. And so we spent four more hours. So it was, like, extremely collaborative, but also a lot of trial and error. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And he didn't have a mic stand. We had to, like, hold the mic for each other. Hmm. He wanted to get some claps, so he... Um, pushed open the window in his studio outside hung the mic on a tree and we would just go all around like screaming wake up and like <laughs> slapping the tree that's or like amazing. throwing lemons and it was just it was pretty that, bonkers that sounds so fun it, it was truly a fun process and like alex said we had nothing to lose so we kind of approached it like let's just have fun like we might yeah. have spent the day having fun the the session we had the two days of writing we had come from was the exact opposite where we're like we have to come up with a cool song because there's such a cool band and like oh the bass line has to be perfect and like the direct opposite was nick anderson but what ended up happening was all of our walls i guess our insecurities came down wow. and we we're just able to write something that was uh laser focused um that was able to express what we were feeling without you know any sense of self-doubt but ironically it came from a place of extreme freedom and grace. Exactly. That is amazing. And that's, I think, that's very hard to get to in writing sessions because you're trying to express a, a, a cloud of an idea or like a cloud of a feeling that you're constantly, I mean, you're going to be just like littered in self-doubt. And so mm-hmm. that, I guess that trick worked for us that day. Yeah. yeah. And also it, it, the big factor in this was Nick is really talented. Yeah, he's, like he, he has, has really ear. good, and yes. he has really good taste. Mm-hmm. Like, we could have like made a really shitty song mm-hmm. and had just as much fun. Yeah, but Nick, we learned, you know, during the process, had a very high bar of like, okay, you can go like cool and like silly, but you, he knew when it was getting cheesy. Or yeah. like when Daniel and Nick would go through a po- chord progression, be like, no, this is too major, or this okay. is too pop, or this is wow. like not. This is really predictable. Or like, okay, this is way too like, actually this is being snobby. Let's like kind of keep it like in this like, that line mm-hmm. is really difficult to do. Cause you can, you can have fun anytime, sure. but to then make something that elevates and like hits, that was, you know, us being in writing sessions for yeah. years. And then Nick Anderson just being very good about like not being snobby about his taste yep. and keeping the, you know, the direction of the lyrics and the melody in a place that, um, captured the uh, the the grace and the the joy and the silliness yeah without like losing it to without the being cheesy or corny yeah yeah that's really difficult yeah. to do and that's nick a, is just super talented that's amazing it yeah. sounds like it requires a lot of nuance and like expertise yeah. that's because he's producing basically yeah. right yeah wow yeah. and it's exhausting so like after eight hours of that like you go home and like i just i don't have enough i don't have any energy to do anything you just like you've just spent everything wow. on that on in eight hours huh yeah that's amazing it sounds a lot of like a lot of fun, but really ex- exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I would like wake up for at least a week or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
That's amazing. So that's how you make songs. Okay. And then for your albums, are they like concept albums where you think of things holistically and then you try to match it up, uh, line up songs that would fit that concept? Or is it more, um, not haphazard, but in- incremental where you come up with a song and then you, you think about the concept later? How does that work? I think um, the approach is always different, but usually what has worked for us was we'll spend a lot of time writing songs and you'll you'll see groups of songs living together and usually they have a similar theme uh, within those songs. And um, Alex is really good about this. Uh, unless there's a theme or unless there's a, a message or a through line mm-hmm. between the songs, they'll he he won't put them he won't put out a product unless a message is is being is clear and, yeah. and and being sent and um i think for me like i'm i i kind of live in the technical aspect of the world so my thing is like if, if it sounds dope like let's just put it out yeah. but um i think we're in year eight of this now i think that message that, that, that like that focus of being able to to express yourself mm-hmm. uh and, and have a message and have something to say is so much more important than mm-hmm. sounding good yeah because like a cool sound a cool sound texture you remember that for a moment but then the stories and the way you right. feel mm-hmm. i think it really stays with you a long time right, right. yeah i i'm also curious because i noticed as i was watching your videos mm-hmm. of your performances it got more and more well, it got more and more wild, but it also got more and more varied. Like, uh, you're playing tambourines and playing guitar, Alex, and singing. And then Sally has, like, uh, she's playing guitar with her toes and then playing, like, piano <laughs> and, like, singing. And then you're playing, like, three instruments, Daniel, with that electric magic square yeah, thing. That, yeah, you know the magic square. <laughs> I have no idea what that is. Um, but I'm, I, I'm guessing that came out of necessity because Correct. you were short-handed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that means you had to like teach yourself some new techniques, some new instruments. How, how did that happen? Like especially with the magic square thing. The magic like, square. How did is, he even learn the square no. thing? I'm just kidding. What is um, it called? It's it's a it's a product uh, made by Roland, and it's for drummers uh, to trigger tracks. This is very nerdy. Uh, trigger tracks, but it, there's a, a click built in, and so for us, uh, because we're running tracks and we don't have a hundred thousand uh, dollars to run tracks sorry this is okay what am i trying to say here it's a budget friendly version to to uh, it's a way to run tracks mm-hmm. for a uh, uh a band that doesn't have money i see so yes. you like pre-record like some like exactly. small little ditty things to a, to a small square exactly and then when you're ready to like queue up that little ditty you you press that small square exactly and that combine it with other squares so well that yeah, was very yeah. Well it's it's all a part of this thing called um uh mti 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 mm. as a uh, maintain serious, serious okay. musical term here maintain the illusion oh that's good and so um people if they chris true yeah chris true of pop etc um he kind of talked about it and it's true like when you look on stage and you need to see a band and if you see a drummer, even though the drummer's not playing, like when you see that happening, then you're like, oh, that's a band. Yeah. So it, that's like the difference between karaoke and like a good pop star is like they do just enough where it seems like they are in control and that there are things that are happening live in the yeah. moment. But it's just like a, it's just an illusion. Yeah. But it's enough of an illusion that um, it works. And for us, it just has to be that way just because there's only three of us yeah and um, that's okay because the audience is paying for a show exactly. not for someone to pl- press exactly. a play button yeah right. yeah because right. yeah. they could do that at home yeah so yeah. it's this like complete like it's 
perpetual dance of like analog versus digital with yeah. over in Daniel's area uh -huh. where he has to like we have to play to a click so we have to play to a track oh, and wow. there's not a lot of improvisation because you're, yeah, you're playing yeah. to that and, but then that gives us track. the restrictions and boundaries to then like be really creative and mm -hmm. how can I give as much in that little bit of time rather yeah. than just have this freeform jazz bridge yeah, you know like sure. it has to be in this three minute song and yeah. I think that's the beauty of a good pop song or a good oh, yeah. track song is mm -hmm. like you need to you need to show up in this three minutes and you can't like get off but it's not mechanical it yeah. has to be it has to look organic and feel organic so. I, I just want to add one last point um, the best MTIers in the in the <laughs> game yeah you probably wouldn't think, but I would say it's Beyonce. Like, oh, yeah. not the, her documentary, not, um, her Coachella performance, it looks completely real, like, especially the, the document. But because we MTI so much, I recognize, like, the little things there that are illusions, even mm -hmm. though it all seems... Like, like they're doing it in real, yes. real life, yeah. But there's such, a, there's, there's such a skill in that, in creating that illusion that... Mm -hmm you can't do nothing but you know yeah. give her a clap mm -hmm. but you learn that as you like watch youtube exactly. or like as you mm -hmm. work with producers you kind of just pick that up correct yeah is that the same thing with you uh sally when you learn bass yeah i saw I, you playing bass in a video um i think i just picked up bass just because uh, out of necessity and hmm. i had like I know how to play like really basic guitar so playing the bass is like you know and then like knowing the chords and just like mm -hmm. trying to train my ear throughout just our recording and writing sessions yeah. to just knowing what what key we're in yeah know? she, so. she actually there's some connection mm -hmm. she yeah. spent many years um, practicing guitar actually on Guitar Hero oh wow that's a great <laughs> yeah. that's like, a great platform yeah. talk about 10,000 hours like <laughs> yeah Gladwell. Yeah, next concert, huh? Yeah, Guitar Hero and Rock Band. <laughs> Amazing. Learn drums there, too. But there is a... I no, think that's a show. We, we know what we need to know to make a band. <laughs> Anybody can be in a band. No, truthfully, there is a... She has some of the best timing, um, whether it's percussion, bass, like keyboard. In recording, she's the person we go to. Like, does yeah. anyone play Shakers? Sally. Like, mm -hmm. And so uh, she that's is talented. Also credit due to DDR. my yeah, background with oh, Dance Dance Revolution. So all that, you know, the timing stuff. Is yeah. Just Do you guys in me. play the finger DDR? Do you know yep. what I'm talking about? It's yep. amazing. I feel the same way about like typing and my mouse control. Mm -hmm. Like my, my parents would always be like, stop playing Counter-Strike and stupid <laughs> games. But now I'm like, oh, I know all these hotkeys and I can like move my mouse really fast yeah. at work because... I played Counter-Strike yeah. Counter yeah, and I didn't, yeah, exactly, and I didn't study <laughs> SATs, <laughs> so there you go, mom. Sorry, she's, she's listening for sure. Annette Yeah, <laughs> Daniel, I also love, or sorry, Alex, Yeah. I love how you've been taking off your shirt and you should keep doing that. Thank you. There's a lot of freedom and like joy there. Yes. And uh, I hope you keep doing it. I, I will. My mom really hates it. That's why you should do and it because yeah. they're not right all the time, especially not, about yeah. Counter Strike. Yeah, and, yeah, mm -hmm. and about taking off shirts. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, I I've, I find it really liberating. Uh, I find it. I find it liberating. Super happy. Yeah. And I think it's such a big middle finger because it's like my body's like not bad, but it's not good. So there isn't <laughs> like there is there's a bit of like weird like non-ego to it because yeah. like i'm not trying to show off yeah because there's nothing to show off really but i'm not like 
completely like letting go. So mm-hmm. I live in this weird little space where like, it's a you place know of self love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I think Absolutely. Lizzo has said it. Like, if you can love me, like this weird, weird Lizzo, you can love yourself. And mm. I think Kanye says the same thing. It's like, if you're a fan of Kanye, you're a fan of yourself. I yeah. think like, good artists are just loving themselves. Yeah, confidently. Um, and openly, and if you're fans of them, then they they make you have some kind of self confidence. Absolutely, so. I actually pray for Kanye every night. I have a reminder. Oh. Yeah, he's yes. he's on my uh, list. He's yeah. he's great, and I hope he's doing okay. Yes. I hope you're doing okay. Yeah. Um, I think we're about out of time, and I actually wasn't planning on sharing this too hard, but I think I will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So to kind of close out, I know that. At the, at the beginning of this episode, I kind of shared, like, I really like your music and stuff. But actually, to be honest, that wasn't always the case. Mm. Mm. I first saw you maybe around 2013 in L.A. on a rooftop show. And I remember thinking, like, wow, this performance, this music, it's so powerful. Uh, and in a word, I guess you could say it was sublime. Like, it was hard to explain. It was hard to understand how you even, like, came up with all the things. Mm. Uh, the sound textures, the arrangements, the lyrics. And it was overwhelming, and I totally resented you guys mm. and, <laughs> and and the music, not because I well, love this, yeah, be, but because um, it made me feel so insignificant because it was so beautiful. Wow! And I actually remember going home drunk and kind of crying and really sad that night. And uh, our friend Nancy might remember this because her friend was like, "Why is that guy so angry?" <laughs> um, and it's true. I was I was really angry. Uh, and to give you. Uh, you all and the listeners a little bit of a better picture of who I am, the person I was and the person who I am now. Like, I'm not that impressive, right? I I have like a lazy eye. uh, I have bad posture. And like, I've been going to the gym for, I've been lifting weights for two years, but you can't tell because I still look like an emaciated poster child for Feed the Children International or something. Like, I I honestly think I, I probably should cancel that gym membership. But even though I've been like semi unimpressive, I have this like really strong desire. Like, I want to be great. I want to be beautiful. I want to be famous. I want to be known. I want to be respected. I want to be loved. Maybe a famous actor. I don't know. One day. But I had this. I had this very narcissistic recurring fantasy uh, that I'm on Stephen Colbert, and we're like slapping each other on the back and like telling each other jokes, and I'm like super charming, and the audience is like, oh my god, <laughs> and it's great, right? But it's it's a fantasy. And when I realize that it will never happen, I make my own talk show, this podcast, you're on it. And uh, I start making these episodes. It, and it's, like I said, a, coming from a place of narcissism. And it makes sense because, uh, like, I don't, I don't actually want to be, I don't, want, I don't just want to be a guest on Stephen Colbert. I want to be Stephen Colbert. Right. Like, I want to be the star, right? So I'm making these podcast episodes, you're on one of them, and I'm hosting guests like you, and I'm listening to your stories, and I'm connecting with your stories about what makes you joyful, about what makes you sad, about what motivates your stories. And it's, it's, it's similar to how I first felt, because there's great beauty there, but it's different because I'm not resentful. I'm connecting with you guys, and I'm connecting with that story, and I'm not feeling isolated. I don't feel insignificant, even though it's beautiful. So, so it hits me, like... Maybe I don't need to be famous. Maybe I don't need to be great. And I don't need to be Stephen Colbert. But I, I, I do need to know, like, I'm not alone. And that these stories, your stories, uh, connecting with you, with people who I've, come to, who I've come to love in just 30 minutes, mm. 38 minutes, uh, that makes me full. So, Red River North, thank you for being on the show today. And thank you for sharing your stories. 
I wish you the best and I hope you uh, get the wildest success more than you've ever imagined and that beauty and grace uh, inundates your lives. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ezra. Appreciate that. Those are great words. This episode was hosted by Ezra Justin Lee with special guests Sally Kane, Alex Huang, and Daniel Che of the band Run River North. To check out more of their music, go to runrivernorth.com or find them on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, or Google Play. The intro music for this episode was by Eric Chow. Closing music by John Ringhofer of Half-Handed Cloud. If you'd like more information on this podcast or maybe you want to check out other episodes, visit our website at mostpodcast.com. That's M-O-S-T podcast.com. And that's a wrap. So until next time, take care and thanks for listening.